Sometimes our dream has to die so something greater can live. A greater faith, a greater intimacy with God, a greater compassion for other people who are hurting. I've seen my wife minister to so many moms uh, with children who have special needs just because of what we've walked through. So maybe your greatest ministry is on the other side of a dead dream. Welcome to Dreamers and Disciples. I'm so glad you've joined us today. We've actually got a a special episode. It's something I've never done on the podcast before, Uh, but I'll tell you about that in just a second. But first, I can't believe y'all, it's only two months until the release of my first book. This dream is not for you. It releases September 12th, but you can actually read the first chapter for free right now at wadejoy.com, or you can find the link in the description or the show notes, wherever you're watching or listening to this podcast. But if you're staring at the shattered pieces of a dead dream, which I believe all of us have at some point in our life, or you're wondering how to dream again after a deep disappointment that you've experienced, I wrote this book for you. So you can read the first chapter, like I said, for free at wadejoy.com or the link in the description and the show notes. And let me just add this, if it blesses you, I would love for you to pre-order the book. You can find that link in all those same places I just mentioned as well. But when you pre-order a book, it shows the retailers that there's actually demand for the book. So then they'll have enough quantities in stock when it releases in September. So I really appreciate you doing that. And if you've read the first chapter, let me know what you think in the review for the podcast or, or message me on Instagram. I would love to hear what resonates with you. Now, it can be painful to trust God with the broken pieces of your dreams. I mean, that's why I wrote that book. And that's actually the focus of today's episode. I wanna share a sermon that I preached recently because I travel and preach at churches across the country, but I've never shared one of those sermons on this podcast. And so I wanna share with you a sermon that I preached recently at Mosaic Christian Church. It's a church outside of Baltimore, Maryland, led by my good friend, Jonathan Moynihan. In fact, Jonathan's been a guest on Dreamers and Disciples before, and they have an amazing church at Mosaic. So if you're in the Baltimore area, I really encourage you to visit one Sunday to worship with them because I believe they are such a healthy and Jesus-honoring church. So I couldn't recommend them enough. So go check them out. I'll put all the info in the show notes. But this was a sermon that I preached as part of a series that they were in about the life of Joseph uh, based on his story in Genesis. And it's called Detour Dreams. That's what the series was called. In my message, uh, we talk about what to do when your dream dies. Now we are jumping into the message as it's in progress. I'm sharing a picture of my family and I'm sharing a little bit about their story. But whatever disappointment you're carrying, I pray that God will meet you right in that place as you listen. So I pray that this blesses you now. The twins turn 15 next month. That'll be 15 years since my wife and I uh, sat in the hospital after uh, she gave birth to them three months premature. They were born at 27 weeks. Liana was one pound, uh, 14 ounces, and uh, Adley was two pounds, five ounces. And the doctors didn't give them much hope uh, of survival at all. And then three days, I believe, after they were born, they set us down and told us that Liana had a grade four brain bleed 
and that she most likely would never walk, most likely would never talk. Uh, They used the word vegetable and they said, there's not much we can do for her. And so at some point you might have to consider taking her off life support. And that was one of the most devastating moments of our life. Um, We were scared, we were confused, we didn't feel God in that moment. I was a pastor, but I was like, God, where are you right now? Uh, And all we could see right then were just pieces of the shattered dream of bringing our twins home healthy uh, after full-term pregnancy, and none of that was our story anymore. And even though on this side of it, 15 years later, I mean, I'm looking at these two girls who are doing everything the doctor said they would never do. So they are a miracle. They're a testimony to God's goodness, his miracle working power. And I can see that now, but I couldn't see that then. All I saw were the shattered pieces. All I saw was the brokenness. There was no way in that hospital in Charlotte, North Carolina, I could imagine showing this picture at Mosaic Church in 2023. But God has been good and God has been with us even in our shattered dreams. And I know in this series, you've been in the, studying the life of Joseph. And so I wanna key in today on the passage where Joseph is looking back. He's looking back at God's faithfulness in his story, even though it didn't always look that way to him in the moment as he was living it out. And in this particular passage we're gonna read, he's no longer looking at the pieces of a shattered dream, but instead he's looking at what God had formed from those pieces. And so this is the moment where he reveals his identity to his brothers, And his brothers have to be freaking out right now because of how they had betrayed Joseph. And now he is not just their little like annoying brother anymore. He is the second most powerful man of the most powerful kingdom on earth. And so they don't know what he's gonna do, if he's gonna get his revenge or what. But here's Joseph's response. In Genesis 45, verses five through eight, Joseph said, but don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years and there'll be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. So I wanna just talk for a few moments today on this topic surrendering shattered pieces. So let's pray. God, I thank you for the fact that even in our pain, even in our brokenness, even in our most confusing moments, that you are with us and that there is hope because of the cross, because of the resurrection and because of your presence. So I pray that you'll speak to us now as your word is preached, that you'll warm our hearts to what you wanna say to us and you'll give us the courage to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'm a child of the 80s and 90s. How many of y'all remember the, the show Saved by the Bell? All right, you're my people then. So I wanted to be Zach Morris back in the day. Anybody else? I wanted to figure out how to date Kelly Kapowski. So I wanted his hair, I wanted all of it. But what I really, really wanted was his cell phone. Do y'all remember the cell phone, like the size of a toaster? It's a massive thing. Well, I wanted to be the first guy at Spring Valley High School in Columbia, South Carolina to have one of those cell phones. But I didn't get a cell phone, but I got the next best thing. I got 
the car phone. You remember the car phones that like are attached to the car? So I got, it was attached to my red Toyota Celica. I thought I was the man, thought I was gonna help my dating life. I was a short guy in high school. I needed all the help I could get. And I, I had my whole pickup line like in my head. I was like, hey girl, come check out my car phone and my Celica, which sounds super, super, super sketchy. Don't, if anybody ever says that, say no, go the other way. But I promise you, my motives were pure. But back in the day, in the early 90s, in 1992, which I'm really dating myself here, but cell phone service was pretty spotty. There weren't a ton of cell phone towers in South Carolina. Uh, And it was especially apparent when I worked at this Christian camp in Ridgeway, South Carolina, in the middle of nowhere, and I couldn't get a signal anywhere, which I didn't really need to make a ton of calls as a camp counselor. But uh, one night... Uh, the, the line in the canteen for the landline was, you remember the landlines? Uh, it, was, it was pretty long and I was determined. I was like, you know what? I've got this car phone. I don't need this stinking landline. I'm gonna drive around. I'm gonna find a signal. So I drive around and I go to the highest point of elevation in the camp, which is the softball field. And I probably broke some rules here, but I just drove up and down the softball field, just trying to find a signal. And I finally found it. I finally found like the sweet spot. And if I was in that exact spot, I could get a signal and I could make a call. Now, if I moved just a little forward, I'd lose the signal. If I went backwards, I lost the signal. I had to be in that spot. And I had to keep the call quick because a five minute call back then cost as much as like my monthly bill now. But I knew for the rest of the summer, if I needed to make a call, I knew where I could go. And you know, I've thought about that story a lot over the last couple of years because I've realized that for so much of my life, I've thought of my dreams like that spot on the softball field. That if, if I wanted to have a meaningful life, if I wanted to have a life of purpose, if I wanted to find fulfillment, if I wanted God to use me, then I had to find the spot where my dreams were met exactly the way I pictured it, exactly the way I planned it, exactly according to all of my expectations and all of my preferences. But I don't know about you, but life rarely lines up with that list in my life. There's a lot of unexpected turns and detours and also unexpected pain. And and a lot of times I'm looking for God to say yes to my dream and I end up staring in the face of a no. And so for us, it was staring in the face of a no to our dream of a complication-free full-term pregnancy. Uh, There are times when I've heard God say no to a position at a job that I wanted where I thought this is how God is gonna use me and this is how I'm gonna be able to use my gifts because I'm passionate about this. So of course God would want it for me, but I heard a no. And I believe many of you, you've either been in that place or you are in that place or you're gonna go through that. So I think this message applies to all of us, but maybe you are staring at a no uh, to your dream job. You applied, you went, you almost made it but then they chose someone else. Or you're staring at a no in a relationship that devastated you and it broke your heart because you thought they were the one. Or maybe even this business that you launched that you thought the idea came from God and you took a step of faith and you leveraged your finances and everything and then it fell apart around you. And so you are just staring at the shattered pieces of your dream and you're wondering where God is in all of it. So we spend our life chasing a yes to our dreams. We're trying to find that sweet spot on the softball field or 
we're trying to, we're striving just to pick up the pieces of a no and try to make it into this makeshift yes, because we're unwilling to let go of what we thought and expected the dream was supposed to be. But I have found when I live like that and when I believe that, that I'm ultimately operating out of a lie that culture um, basically hits us with from all sides. And sometimes we even hear this in the church and it's a very sneaky, it's a very tricky lie. And it's this, it's the lie that the success of my dream is what gives me true significance and purpose. It's the lie that achieving my dream will tell me who I really am and the failure of my dream will scream who I'm not. It's the lie that ultimately can be summed up like this, that your dream defines you. And the reason that's such a dangerous lie is that what defines you controls you because whatever you attach your meaning and purpose to is what you end up giving power to in your life. So when we allow our dream to become an idol, when we allow our dream uh, to define us, we are handing over the keys uh, of our spiritual, our mental, our emotional well-being to something that we usually have very little control over. And that's a very dangerous place to put our hope and to put our, our peace and to put our contentment. And so we just end up, we try to hold on tight to whatever pieces we can of the shattered dream. We hold tight to the expectations, tight to the plans, tight to the pain, but we're unwilling to even let that go. It turns into bitterness. And sometimes we even hold tight to the dream when it's successful because we don't want it to slip away because if it slips away, we don't have anything left because if your purpose is the dream and you don't have the dream anymore, what does that mean for your purpose? So purpose has to be something deeper. It has to be something different than just our dream. And so if I had to just sum it up with a physical posture, the way culture teaches us to dream is with clenched fists. It's like this. It's just holding on tight to what we think will ultimately bring us fulfillment. But I think Joseph in his story and in this passage is showing us a different healthier posture, more biblical posture for a dreamer. So let me just read verses seven and eight one more time where Joseph says, God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. See, I think Joseph realized here after all the disappointment, after all the pain, after all the heartbreak, that when you are sent, you have to give up control to the one who sends you. You have to surrender to the person that is sending you, which when he looks back at his life, he realized that there was nothing he could have done to chase this dream. There was nothing he could have done to put the pieces back on his own to actually get him in the spot where he was now the second most powerful person in Egypt. And he was living in the reality of his dream, but it looked so different than he expected. And there was no way he could have navigated a course to get there on his own. He couldn't get there by striving to put the pieces together. He was only able to get there by surrendering them to God and to be sent through his surrender. And so Joseph had to choose to believe, and this is a place of maturity that he had to get to, that his purpose, and you see this all throughout his story, that his purpose didn't await him one day when he finally got that position of authority. He had to choose 
to, to carry that purpose with him, whether he was in Potiphar's house, whether he was in the prison, or whether, whether he's standing in front of his brothers now with the actual authority that he never thought he would have. He had to realize that in all of those scenes of his story, he had purpose and he had to learn how to carry that with him, even in his brokenness and even in the brokenness of his dream. So I'm reminded I talked about my car phone a second ago. Thankfully, we have these. They're a bit of an upgrade. This is my iPhone. You might have an Android. I'm not going to judge your phone choices here. There's freedom in God's house. Oh. But that phone, I mean, I've, I've used this now at Mosaic. I've used it in Charlotte. I've used it in South Carolina. I've used it in the UK, in Australia, in Israel. I've used it all over the world. And it doesn't only work when I find the sweet spot on the softball field. This pretty much works everywhere as long as it's with me, as long as I'm carrying it with me. And I think when we think that we can only be used by God one day in the future when we're living in our dream, we are giving up so much of the purpose that God wants us to walk in in our current situation. We have to learn how to carry that with us because Joseph carried his purpose as a worshiper of Yahweh in every situation. He carried his trust. He carried his obedience. He carried his faithfulness. And he didn't find that one day when he arrived at the dream. God formed that day by day in the middle of Joseph's dead dreams so that his character was ready when he finally got to this position. He wasn't searching for a yes. He postured his life in the position of yes. I believe that's a beautiful picture of what surrender looks like. So he had to carry his yes, even in the middle of a painful no. So we have to carry our yes, no matter what painful no that we are facing right now. A yes to God, whatever you wanna do in this situation, I trust you. And just like, Pot, just like Joseph said yes in Potiphar's house, yes when he was in the prison, yes when he seemed forgotten and forsaken by everyone else, he still kept his trust and his belief in the Lord. And this is honestly what Jesus would teach us centuries later when he talks about the posture of a disciple in the kingdom of God. And, and really the posture of a disciple is this. It's not clenched fist around your dream. It's open hands, surrendering your dream to the Father and to something greater. So this is what Jesus says in John 12. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Now, just for some biblical context here, Jesus is talking about his life. He's about to give his life on the cross and through his sacrifice, uh, he's gonna produce a harvest of righteousness that has echoed for 2000 years for all who call upon his name and are saved. Uh, and so his, his sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection uh, has brought our resurrection, our new life, uh, has given us forgiveness in a relationship with God. Uh, but he's also modeling the way of life that we are meant to have as a disciple, the way we are called to live our own lives. And so he's basically saying when he talks about hating your life, he's saying that anyone who loves their ambitions um, their dreams, their life more than they love the kingdom of God and the purposes of God, you will lose yourself in your attempt to chase that dream because you will not walk in the fullness of what it means to be human 
because what it means to be human is to be in connection with our creator, with our father, and to actually fulfill the purpose for which we are created, um, which is to carry out his purpose. And so dreams are incredible gifts from God used to motivate us to do kingdom work, to, to bless other people, to serve other people. But sometimes something that is good can become destructive when held the wrong way. So we've got to move from this to this, but I usually don't do this willingly. I feel like sometimes circumstances or God or whatever you want to say, it has to pry my hands open to finally surrender. But I found some of the greatest gifts in my life have been on the other side of disappointment. And so there is a gift if we just trust God. So let me say it like this. If surrender is the defining posture of a disciple, it must be the defining posture of a dreamer too. And so I want us to get to that place today to where we can move from striving to make your dream happen at all costs to surrendering, which is trusting God with your dream, no matter the cost. That is the kind of biblical trust and faith that God is calling us to as his people and his church. So in the short time left, I just wanna give you three pieces that are part of any dream. And whether it's a dream that you're living in now or it's the shattered pieces on the floor, I wanna walk through how we can surrender those pieces to God. And in doing so, I think we can walk in the fullness of joy that God intends for us to have when we operate according to his ways and we carry his heart and his posture. So the first is this, are y'all with me? All right. Surrender your preferred position in the dream. Surrender your preferred position in the dream. Because if you look at the whole story of Joseph, the way he saw his dream and interpreted his dream changed over the years. Because when he was 17 and he was still that bratty kid talking about his dream to his brothers, this is what it sounded like. It says, one night Joseph had a dream and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. That's not a good start. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and they bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you'll be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon Joseph had another dream and again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. So right here, you can see that the way Joseph is seeing this dream is he is very much in the center of it. I mean, he's literally physically in the center. They're surrounding him in his dream, bowing before him. It's very much all about his position. But when he's standing before his brothers in Genesis 45, he sees it differently. He says, God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So the same authority is present in what he saw in Genesis 37 to what he saw in Genesis 45. And yes, technically the kingdom of Egypt had to bow to him and his brothers had to bow to him, but Joseph didn't interpret it that way anymore. He saw that his authority was there so that he could serve his people, so that he could preserve their lives. He had moved from being the center to the servant. And that is something that, that my pastor at my church he preached on this years ago and he taught us with any dream to ask us that question. And it's a very powerful question if you're honest with yourself. Am I the center or am I the servant? 
So I had to walk this out uh, through a pretty formative period in my life as a worship leader. So I was a worship leader for 25 years and I loved it. I loved leading worship. I felt like I came alive. I felt like I saw God do so much in my life and uh, where I led. And I just really felt like I connected with God. And I would have said that that was my calling in life was to be a worship leader. Well, then in 2007, uh, I got asked to come on staff at a church in Charlotte called Elevation Church with a friend of mine named Chris and a friend of mine named Mac. And the three of us were supposed to build the worship ministry together. And for about seven years, I was getting to live my dream. Um, God was doing amazing things in the church. I was able to pastor our worship team. Uh, I was able to help write songs. And then we were recording albums and we started to go on tour. And I was like, God, this is amazing. I can't believe I'm getting to, to live out so much of what I prayed for and even beyond that. And then one day I had a conversation with my pastor and he said in a very loving but clear way, you know, Mac and Chris, they are great songwriters. They're great vocalists. They're great worship leaders. And I think they have a special anointing on their life when they do that. They're great at that. I think you are good at those things, but there's a lid there. But I think you have the, the gifting to be a great pastor and shepherd uh, and teacher. And one day you're gonna have to decide, are you willing to let go of what you're good at in order to take hold of what God has called you to be great at? That's not a fun thing to hear, guys. <laughs> That's, um, and honestly, like simultaneously, I knew God was speaking to me, but I also wanted to fight it. And it took years for, for my hands to finally be open to what the Lord wanted to do. But I grieved that dream because in many ways, that conversation felt like a dream had died. And not just any dream, a dream that defined me because I thought of myself as Wade, the worship leader, and I didn't know who I was if I wasn't doing that. But it became such a gift to realize that I had been defining myself by the wrong thing. I was defining myself as Wade, the worship leader, rather than Wade, the child of God. And that worship leading was one vehicle to use uh, to live out my purpose, but it wasn't the only one. And so as the Lord was very patient with me through that process, I began to find joy in pastoring other people and watching them succeed and flourish in the things that I used to wanna do. What didn't mean there wasn't still some conflict inside, but I began to find a deeper joy there watching them do that. Uh, I started to learn that mature ministry is being more excited about what God does through others than what he does through you. Um, I started to realize that once my hands were open and I'd surrendered leading worship and songwriting, that all of a sudden I realized that I liked preaching and I felt like, oh, God can use me here. And I liked writing and I, and I began to realize that God wanted to fill my hands with different dreams for different seasons, but I never would have been open to experience that if I was still desperately holding on to the thing that I used to think I couldn't live without. And so there was a gift on the other side of surrendering my preferred position to God saying no to something I thought I could never live without. So letting go of your preferred position in the dream, and maybe you'll get your preferred position, but many times you won't. But either way, we have to realize that we are never meant to be the, the center. We are meant to be the servant of God's purposes to allow God to shape it into what he wants it to be. And also to always remain open to something new that God might want to do in this season. All right, here's the second piece. 
And this one, this one can sting a little bit to me. Surrender your entitled expectations of the dream. Surrender your entitled expectations of the dream. First Peter 1.3, I love this verse. It says, all praise to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. I think sometimes we can hear a message like this about surrender and think, oh, well, God doesn't want me to dream at all. God doesn't want me to have any expectations. And I think that's the furthest thing from the truth because we, we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, that the son of God came as a man, died on a cross, rose again from the, from the grave, offers us forgiveness, that we actually carry the spirit of God within us through the Holy Spirit. That is amazing. That is a life built on great expectation of realizing that God has invited us in to partner with him in his kingdom work on the earth. And so we can live realizing that God wants to use us. God has empowered us through his spirit. God has gifted us. God wants us to be open to how he can move and interrupt us throughout the day. And um, being a Christian is a life of expectation. But I think there's a big difference between dreaming with great expectation and dreaming with entitled expectations. So great expectation means, God, I am open and available to what you're doing. I'm ready. If it's part of my plans or not, I expect that you wanna move. I expect that you are good. I expect that you are um, ordering my steps as I follow you. Entitled expectations all revolve around our plans. And they usually, you, could, you know you're falling into this because of these two words, I deserve. I think these two words are the most dangerous words for our contentment and our peace. And when I find myself with this narrative in my heart, I realize that something is out of alignment, that I've lost my perspective, I've lost my gratitude. So it sounds like this, I deserve fill in the blank, because I've worked harder than that other person, because I've been generous, God, I've been following your commandments. So God, this business, I deserve for it to work out because I tithe every week, I've been faithful. Um, you know, I, I'm in a group, I've done all, I've checked all the boxes, so I deserve this. Or it's saying, God, I deserve to be married at 40. I've had to wait long enough, but I'm, I've kept myself pure. I've stopped looking at pornography. I've tried to, to date the right way in a way that honors you. So I, I deserve this. Um, I deserve for my business to succeed because of the work ethic that I show and the way I treat my employees. And all of those things are good things that, that form Christ-likeness in our character. They're the way we're supposed to live. But we have to be careful that we don't think that living according to the commandments of Jesus puts God in our debt because that is not grace. And I deserve honestly goes, it's antithetical to what the gospel really is. Because a lot of times we don't really wanna get what we deserve. Because if we play the I deserve game with God, um, it gets kind of confusing because the gospel, like I said, is built on us getting what we don't deserve. And that's good news for us. So Jesus, um, took the death that we did deserve on the cross so that we could get the grace that we don't deserve. And so when we start operating out of an I deserve mentality, that is a way of thinking and that is a worldview and that is a heart posture that has lost the gratitude of the cross and lost the gratitude of grace and what Christ offers us. Because when we truly realize 
what God gives us in Jesus and what God has poured out uh, into us, uh, his love, his grace, his mercy, his peace. Um, we live from a constant place of, of gratitude and thanksgiving for that. And it changes everything, but we have to be so careful because culture is constantly saying, well, no, you deserve this, you deserve that. So we have to keep coming back. That's why church is so important. That's why worship is so important. That's why being in a group is so important because it reorients our hearts back to our true state, which is unmerited grace and favor that we didn't deserve because of Jesus. And if you wanna know more about that relationship with Christ, if you wanna know more about um, what it means to be saved and to be a follower of Jesus and to be baptized, you can check the box on your connection card that says baptism. Somebody will be in touch with you this week about it. Um, but following Jesus means saying, I'm not gonna get this perfectly all the time, but the posture of my life is not gonna be this anymore. It's gonna be this. And the best way for me to pivot my heart from striving to surrender from I deserve entitlement to gratitude is this. I deserve to you deserve. And it really is a posture of worship. It's saying, God, you've given me so much that I don't deserve and that is a good thing. So because of that, you deserve my worship. You deserve my gratitude. You deserve my praise. You deserve my obedience. You deserve my trust even when I can't make sense of what's going on right now. So we have to change our narrative from I deserve to you deserve. So whenever you sense your heart going to entitlement, just pivot quickly back to worship, pivot quickly back to gratitude. Look for evidence of the goodness of God in your life because your dream was given to you by God ultimately to be offered back to him as an act of worship. But even when we do that, I don't want you to think that surrender is pain-free because when a dream dies, a dream is close to your heart and that hurts. And so surrender oftentimes has hidden hurt associated. And that's the final piece I wanna talk about. Surrender, or surrender your hidden hurt from the dream. Surrender your hidden hurt from the dream. So after our twins were born in 2008, it took us, it took us a while before we could dream again about having another kid because the, the twins still had to go through a lot of medical issues. Um, Liana, and she has mild cerebral palsy. It's called hemiparesis. It's weakness on her right side. Uh, and so we've had to deal with a lot there. Adley had heart surgeries and um, just in and out of the hospital. Like I said, God's done amazing things in their life, but it was still hard for us to navigate. I started having panic attacks, struggled with anxiety. It, it was a really hard season. And so about four years after that, we felt like we were healed enough to begin to like, hey, we, we wanna have another child. And so we prayed and my wife got pregnant. And so we really prayed that, that our third child, she was gonna be the one that we had the, the pregnancy experience that we didn't have with the twins. And it first started that way because she wasn't early. She was a week late. So we were like, okay, that, that checks a big box. And I remember the day she was born, we were just so, so thankful. And then that night, um, she had to get rushed to the NICU, which is the place we never wanted to be again. We had prayed we would never set foot in the NICU again. And because her intestines had ruptured and she was coughing up blood. And so for five weeks, she was in the hospital until she was diagnosed with something called cystic fibrosis. And 
once again, we, we were devastated and honestly angry because in just my own private moments with God, I was like, God, really? Like, like I felt like we walked through our trial before. So how, why are you allowing us to walk through this, which honestly feels even worse? Because technically cystic fibrosis, even though there's been a lot of medical breakthroughs, they tell you it's a terminal condition, which is something you do not wanna hear as a parent. And so we were devastated. And I honestly had a lot of I deserve conversations. I was like, God, I'm, I'm a pastor. I have tried to show faith. I have tried to do this and you've let me down. And I think God can handle those conversations um, because only then can he actually do the healing in your heart that he wants to do. And so I was hurt, I was broken, I was scared. And I, I have a feeling some of you are in that same place because you got a call this week with a diagnosis that changes everything for your life. And you have no idea what the future looks like anymore. You have no idea where your next paycheck is coming from. And you're honestly, you're angry with God because you feel let down. And so I just wanna encourage you to not minimize those emotions. Don't let them drive you away from God, but use them as a catalyst to draw deeper into God. And I wanna show you in Genesis 43, how Joseph is not some two-dimensional superhero in the Bible. He actually had real pain from his experience. It says, then Joseph looked at his brother, Benjamin, the son of his own mother. Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? Joseph asked, may God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried from the room because he was overcome with emotion for his brother. He went into his private room where he broke down and wept. After washing his face, he came back out, keeping himself under control. Then he ordered, bring out the food. But here we see a moment where I think it's a mix of a lot of things. I think it's a mix of gratitude. He never thought he'd see Benjamin again. I think it's all the trauma, all the pain, everything coming to the surface. And Joseph is, is dealing with it. And I think this is just one of many times where he had to experience this emotion. And I think we see through the fruit of his life uh, in Genesis, that he realized that he had to take those emotions to God. He had to process them with the Lord. He couldn't hide them. He couldn't let them turn into bitterness. He couldn't let them fester. He eventually even brings them to his brothers, but not as gaping wounds, but as healed scars, which is what allows him to say, I forgive you in the first place. But Joseph felt the hurt because of dead dreams. And I want you to know that it's okay to feel the pain. If you didn't feel the pain, there'd be something wrong because pain shows how much you love something. And pain shows how much you trust God when you turn it over to him. So the enemy would want nothing more than for you to feel like, okay, I'm done dreaming. I'm done believing. I'm done trusting. I just can't do it anymore. Because when you do that, you close your heart off to anything new that God wants to do in your life. You close your heart off to any true intimacy with the Father. And so the, the enemy wants you to stop dreaming and to stop trusting. But the more you hold on to that pain and refuse to deal with it, the more you're closing yourself off from the true healing that God wants to do. And so for me, in the private moments in the hospital, when I was having those conversations with God about Sydney, as I brought my mess, as I brought my frustration, as I brought my disappointment, I also began to hear the voice of the Spirit saying, wasn't I with you when the twins were in the hospital? Haven't I been with you every step of the way over the last four years? Has my presence ever left you? And as I realized the goodness of God, how he had been with us, even in the difficulties, 
it began to help me trust him now and realize that if I could trust him with the twins, I could trust him with Sydney too. And that didn't make it always easier. It didn't always take the anxiety away, but it gave me a, a focus and a direction. And it helped me say, okay, every day, God, I'm just gonna start from a place of trust. Even if I feel pain, even if I feel frustration, I am gonna bring those emotions to you because the spirit was with us then. He was so good then. He'd be with us now. Joseph, the, the word of God says, the spirit of God was with him wherever he went. And if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you and there is nowhere you can go to escape the presence of God. He is with you in your shattered dreams and you can surrender and you can trust God. This is my whole message in a very simple point. You can bring your shattered dreams to God because he is trustworthy. You can trust him. And sometimes our dream has to die so something greater can live. A greater faith, a greater intimacy with God, a greater compassion for other people who are hurting. I've seen my wife minister to so many moms uh, with children who have special needs just because of what we've walked through. So maybe your greatest ministry is on the other side of a dead dream and how you're gonna be able to help other people walk through that. But God may not always, and this is important, He might always put the pieces of your shattered dream back together the way you intended or the way you would like to see it, but He always will make something beautiful out of it if we just bring those to Him and place them in His hand. I hope that message was an encouragement for you today, that no matter what you are facing, that God is good, God is with you, and God is for you. And if you wanna hear more sermons from time to time on the podcast, uh, let me know in the comments. I I'd love to work that in occasionally if it was something that really resonated with you. And I go much deeper into this whole theme about what to do when your dream dies in my book, This Dream Is Not For You, once again, releasing September 12th. And I just wanna remind you, you can read the first chapter for free at wadejoy.com. All right, I'll see you back here next week for another episode of Dreamers and Disciples. Mm -hmm.